and thank you for joining us on the Therapy Cable podcast. What you're about to listen to are conversations and interviews on some of the most crucial and important topics in the behavioral and mental health space. It is our mission to help remove the stigmas attached to mental health, psychology, and addiction, one recording at a time. Welcome to Therapy Cable. Um, we usually start about 5 p.m. Today we had some technical difficulties, but we got it going. So we'll be here another half an hour talking about personality disorders. And in this case, what I would like to really focus on are two questions that we have received. Number one, do people have more than one personality disorder? And uh, what do we do with that? And number two, what are some of the issues and triggers that can come up around uh, holiday stress and with holidays that are uh, looming or pending? And what can people do to perhaps mitigate and alleviate some of the, um, you know, um, unpleasant experiences that come up with in relationships with people with personality disorder? So. Let's address those two questions. Number one, about multiple personality disorders. Yes, that is possible. That's very, that's not uncommon and that some people who have personality disorders they can have more than one. Uh, especially the more probability lies uh, with the cluster B uh, personality disorders, which are dramatic, emotional. So we could have um, people who are on the borderline uh, spectrum also exhibit narcissistic personality or histrionic antisocial personality traits and or um, styles and features and, and, and even two full-blown personality disorders such as um, at times narcissistic and borderline and which is quite a dangerous combination as well and I would say any combination really makes the uh, intensity and, and, and elevates the danger of the situation. And, and by danger, what I mean is really the, uh, if you will, the dysfunction, the um, perhaps uh, uh, the, the difficulty of dealing with the individual and resolving the problems in the relationship and uh, continuing a healthy relationship. So. Um, another cluster, two cluster C, that has to do with the fearful, anxious personality disorders such as obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, avoidant personality disorder, or dependent personality disorder. You could certainly also develop a, uh, a person could develop a couple of uh, these personality disorders. Um, and, and again, it could be an avoidant with OCD, OCPD, I'm sorry not OCD, OCD is a different category and different type of disorder, and, um, and or dependent and, um, uh, and, and perhaps even avoidant, uh, because they, they're, they're not incompatible. They're, they can happen, they can occur together. Uh, even though the ideology has some discrepancies or differences, but 
circumstantially, you could have someone who has more or less developed these tendencies. Now, uh, again, also with the cluster A, with paranoid and schizotypal, if you think about it, someone with schizotypal or schizoid personality disorder, they could also be paranoid very much. So, in fact, paranoia and paranoid personality traits can exist in uh, the other disorders from cluster B and C. You know, someone with borderline personality can have paranoid personality as well. And or, again, avoidant and paranoid that can go together. I would say less so as a combination for schizoid and schizoid people, um, uh, even though it's quite difficult to really, you know, objectively uh, separate uh, and, and delineate between those personality disorders if one has both. So, um, bottom line, I think that's a good explanation so far, a brief explanation for the fact that yes, it is true that people can have multiple personality disorders and it makes the situation even more difficult to deal with. And if you have watched some of our videos on Therapy Table, uh, including uh, uh, explanation of cluster A, cluster B, and cluster C personality disorders, uh, and and specifically each personality disorder within each cluster, then you are equipped with some possible solutions and strategies in order to deal with those uh, come especially difficult personality disorders, specifically if they are combined. Uh, so please feel free to go to therapycable.com, search for cluster A, cluster B, cluster C, or personality disorders, uh, both singular and plural, personality disorders, slash disorders, uh, and see what you can learn from those videos. Now, let's move on with the second question. We have uh, pretty good time in order to deal with uh, specifically in depth with uh, what to do around holiday stress uh, or any type of stress. But the fact that I'm emphasizing holiday stress is because of the fact that uh, like many um, circumstantial uh, you know, times or uh, tri triggers or stimuli or reasons that uh, exist Holidays, too, uh, fall into that category of circumstances that increase the probability of stress and therefore also for a personality disorder to be triggered and to be activated. Um, now, why? Because holidays are uh, particularly a very significant uh, phase of our, our life. You know, whether it is, you know, right now as we are going through the you know, Christmas holidays and the uh, pending New Year holiday after that, and the ceremonies, activities, um, gatherings, planned um, uh, activities and actions, events that are uh, supposed to happen, uh, or any other type of the holiday that is coming up, usually people um, arrange their existence, their lifestyle, their uh, schedule, their work, family um, time around this type of a important, significant chunk of the event in their lives. Uh, whether they have, so, for example, for the holidays, uh, this right now, the Christmas and New Year holidays, whether they have 
worked hard the entire year, you know, uh, perhaps 11 months, 10 months, 11 months, almost 12 months now uh, within the year and looked forward uh, toward this time as a perhaps maybe time to relax a little bit or celebrate uh, important accomplishments in their lives. Uh, perhaps even, you know, look forward to exchanging some gifts, receiving or giving some gifts, because that can also be very symbolic and meaningful in terms of uh, expressing one's gratitude and appreciation as well as receiving that gratitude and appreciation. And really um, putting a lot more meaningfulness into a person's life, you know, it's the ability to come to an uh, almost like the that end line, the uh, finish line of a journey that uh, in this case would be like a 12-month journey and kind of a fiscal or annual um, uh, stretch of time that has allowed us to um, revolve all our understanding, all our uh, little tasks, goals, objectives that we have put in our calendars and our phones and our, uh, uh, you know, in our life basically on month to month, week to week and day to day basis, uh, it comes to a culmination, it comes to a point where we really want to re-examine and assess uh, our life and with that comes that meaningfulness in terms of have I been, we ask ourselves those questions, you know, how was this year? Have I been successful? Have I accomplished some of the things that I wanted to accomplish this year? How far more do I have to go in order to um, achieve the goals that I have set out for myself to achieve? Uh, those questions are important, they're significant. Our mind, at least, whether consciously or subconsciously, has been racing toward uh, this type of a chronological um, uh, review and experience. You know, we know that we have an internal clock. So as uh, living organisms, we, my, having one of the most uh, advanced and intelligent minds in, in this world uh, among all uh, living organisms, uh, as human beings, we are equipped with that type of a faculty that understands time, understands planning, and uh, organizes and manages millions of tasks in our lives around this concept of keeping time, following time, being on time, tracking time. So time is very important, therefore also the significant events and phases in our lives that allow us to create some meaningfulness out of that experience of time are very important. And within that comes this heightened uh, desire to uh, prove to ourselves and others that, you know, our, our more or less our effort is uh, worth it. Our effort uh, that we have put in our past, in recent past, basically the last year, um, are worthwhile. They have been worthwhile. They are worth it. Then they, they make sense and we should continue remaining on track. That So this is where our psychic energy is really gravitating toward that meaningfulness, encapsulating this concept of effort and time and the human experience 
uh, as it relates to a whole chronology of um, of, of living. And uh, everybody is, again, subconsciously and subconsciously aware of this chronology that we call age. We know that we are aging. We know that despite of our uh, particular age number, whether we are young or old, we have a certain number of years behind us and a certain of years in front of us. So uh, it, this, the, 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 the effectiveness, the efficiency, the uh, power that we uh, feel internally and exert externally in our lives in order to deal with that, our position in our own life, in our own life's chronology is of very, very significant value and we're constantly striving to prove that to ourselves and others. Therefore, here during these holidays, you know, the um, facing this type of a challenge in our own life experience uh, can lead to very much conflictual situations because, as you can imagine, every human being with their uh, given composition of what everything we talked about is really eager to do it their own way. Everybody has, and that's what we call identity and personality. So with given a very specific identity and personality that people um, harbor, they want to assert themselves very, very, in very specific ways. And um, so part of that, what I mean by specific ways is the way a person feels, the way a person thinks, the way a person uh, reasons and behaves and uh, interacts with the society around them, with members of the society that are important to them, uh, friends, loved ones, uh, family members, co-workers, um, um, you know, acquaintances. So, uh, and, and because of the diversity that exists between these types of very unique personalities and identities that everybody harbors for themselves and want to assert, uh, ultimately, conflict is inevitable. These personalities come to a very intense um, uh, opportunity of uh, conflicting with each other and clashing at times. Uh, because everybody is really eager in this, this last few days and moments of the year when we are uh, striving to powerfully assert ourselves and make life meaningful to, uh, to kind of um, be ourselves, to, to completely feel like we, we are good, we are okay, we have made it, everything is fun, everything is working out. And uh, we are basically fully our own self. And, um, and through that assertion of a full holistic sense of self, then we can um, become less tolerant toward things that don't go our way, toward ways and strategies and uh, tac tactics or, uh, you know, um, approaches that other people may take toward the same exact phenomenon. Such as, let's say, just give an example, somebody who may be quite eager to decorate a uh, Christmas evening or determine the order of gifts that are supposed to be handed out. 
or determine the type of food that needs to be on the table for this event. Because uh, everybody has a certain connection to um, all these objects around us that we, we use and utilize throughout the day. And uh, again, each um, and every tool and object and even people that we interact with on a daily basis, they have symbolic meanings to us. And we want to arrange them in a very specific order that meets our demands. And uh, if we are talking about, let's say, specific personality disorders such as a narcissism, a narcissistic personality. So uh, somebody with, with a high level of narcissism who um, truly believe that they are um, to be appreciated, valued, and put on a pedestal and kind of admired and revered, and they believe that they have um, given, uh, given a gift to the society and to the human beings by, by coming to this world, but by being alive. And they think that they're above everybody else. They have such a high regard for themselves that they expect a lot, specifically during these times of holidays and um, even Self, self-assertion. So they, their level of expectation in regards to what they want to receive from other people is going to be heightened. And it's not a regular day. It's not just a usual every day. It could be May 25th, for instance, and, or uh, you know June 4th or whenever uh, of, of the day of the year. No, this is Christmas. This is a holiday. One of the most important holidays that uh, people experience. So there is a set of expectation that somebody with narcissistic personality goes in with, in interacting with everybody around. Now, another uh, person with, let's say, a different personality, uh, such as, let's say, um, antisocial personality disorder, they may, they may even be ridiculing and uh, humiliating everybody else around them because they, again, you know, regarding um, a, a Christmas time or so holiday season uh, as part of the social, social societal set of norms and rules and regulations, somebody with antisocial personality may just disregard everything and really be offended even during these times because uh, something in them is being re-triggered in terms of the rules of society and who, who, who are the people, who are these authorities who come and determine what holiday is good and what holiday is not good or what time of the year re- uh, deserves some celebration and what other times of the year don't. So within uh, the in, inner dynamic of person with antisocial personality, you may uh, see that uh, they are kind of Hurt by this throughout this season, and they may even uh, act out even further with their anti-authority, um, uh, oppositional defiance, and uh, and just uh, basically rule breaking, rule bending, but specifically rule breaking and more manipulative tactics in dealing with the people around them. Um, and then again. Another example, I don't want to go through all the personality disorders and all the clusters, but just to give you one more example, people who isolate to some extent, whether it is schizoid, schizotypal, paranoid, and um, uh, even 
at times borderlines and, and even the uh, avoidant personality disorders, you know, all those individuals may feel a little bit more stressed because there is this uh, added demand from the environment and from people around them to get them engaged in, in even more interaction, interpersonal interaction that they usually shy away from. People who have paranoia, people who are avoidant, people who have uh, schizoid or schizotypal, they, um, they may, feel, may feel pressure and, um, you know, kind of pushed unnecessarily toward uh, social engagement that they generally dislike and have a difficulty with. And so that's the reason really why holiday stress can actually trigger this underlying condition. And uh, based on that, what, what happens is that people just generally end up um, uh, probably fighting and uh, uh, entering into these conflicts with each other or against each other and, um, uh, and have less tolerance you know, for each other's peculiarities and deficiencies. And um, as a result, you know, end up um, perhaps distancing themselves even more from one another. And uh, uh, so what do we do? So let's, let's talk about um, the solutions that people may have. What I would suggest really is that if we approach these uh, times, the holiday times and the stressful uh, times and situations with a little bit of a uh, foresight, I would say, a, a sense of the anticipation, but a positive anticipation. So basically, really the focus here is to increase our tolerance and um, understanding, and also just keep focusing on the positive aspect of the times that you're going through, meaning, uh, you know, harboring a celebratory um, disposition toward, toward conflict, toward possibilities of disagreements. You know, somebody may be at the end of the ropes, somebody may be highly stressed due to other types of stressful demands in the, uh, during this time, such as, you know, running multiple tasks, having to deal with multiple goals and multitasking and not having enough time or energy or resource to deal with the demands of their work or family and, and again, uh, being equipped with more or less uh, answering the demands of holiday stress. Uh, therefore, um, people may be a more or less on short fuse, you know, where they are impulsively active. Um, they have uh, uh, less capacity for stress tolerance. So therefore, they may just instantaneously um, say the wrong thing, you know, uh, uh, they may be a little bit too sensitive uh, toward everything. They'll take things personal. Um, they may have their hopes um, kind of crushed or uh, they become disappointed about certain things that they had they would happen. Um, so having known uh, these types of possibilities, what we can do, we have, all of us have experienced more or less a set of these memories in the past where we have gone through multiple, you know, Christmases and New Year's and other types of holidays. What we can do is um, remind ourselves over and over again on a daily basis that we are 
going through a particularly challenging time. However, it can run very well. It can actually, even though, even if it is not perfect and it, it full of some strife or conflict or, um, you know, uh, more or less um, um, probably some debates and arguments and uh, disagreements and uh, and basically missed opportunities. Despite all that, the fact, ultimately, it's a time to for celebration. It's a time for appreciation, for gratitude. You know, where people um, can ultimately look at the bigger picture. You know that everybody deserves a break. Everybody deserves some uh, pat on the shoulder. Everybody, um, as a as a species, as a community, as uh, uh, you know, members of the society and the, the group of what we call human beings, we, we we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to each other. Ultimately, what's the meaning of life? You know, we're not just robots. It's not just uh, we don't just live for for productivity. We don't work to live, you know. Uh, that's that's not uh, that's not the idea. We, uh, we we have to first live and and uh, make life meaningful. So that's the main thing. I'm getting a call. Maybe that's a question. Let's go to the other. Yes, sir. How can I help you? Hello. Okay. So. Uh, oh yeah, so we are getting a question uh, from uh, uh, one of our viewers. Let's see, Don asks, I'm confused on how to stop being a victim. I'm confused about doing uh, no contact and I'm confused on why they hate independent partners so much. Okay, so that's a good question that we can answer. Hey. Um, uh, Enthusiast asked, could someone with uh, able heal with something heal if only they put in the effort to strengthen self-esteem? Okay, that's a possible question too that we can answer. James asked, are people with BPD more prone to infidelity? Very good. And another question by Don, if they're the bad guys, why does everyone as lionized support? side with and worship them, I think. Uh, uh, okay, so lots of questions, so let's go through them. So I, th- I hope that we kind of went through a um, good review of personality disorders getting triggered during this time and what we can do with them, just have more tolerance, focus more on the positive. You owe it to yourselves and others to just appreciate and and really look at the brighter side of life. You've done enough for about 12 months looking at the you know, painful side of life. So just take this few weeks and celebrate it, even just by yourself, with yourself. You can owe it to yourself. So let's go through these questions again and answer them. So how to stop being a victim? And um, you know, why the, the partners may hate independent partners so much. So, um, what happens is there's something called, that's a very good question, there's something called uh, uh, drama triangle. Drama triangle. So it's a triangle, basically three uh, corners that of uh, what we call uh, positions 
within a relationship the three possible positions we can keep we can take uh, that ultimately defines how drama is created and maintained and it becomes a circular um, movement between these three positions and people get caught within this circular uh, you know drama uh, reiteration and drama experience and they don't get get out of it it becomes exhausting so let's go that through that quickly because this question really brought up one of the positions this question is about the victim position you know how to stop being the victim why do we even go into the position of a victim that's a good first question that I have you know we have a tendency so more or less let me share that with you in terms of why these three positions exist and what they what they are so the first position is a position of a victim the second one is the position of the perpetrator the third one the position of the rescuer so um, because we we all as human beings are in equal or unequal in our um, in relationship to our positions of power with each other you know people don't have equal power toward each other one person is a little bit more powerful than the other we'll get into depth of it at a later time but basically let's say somebody is more attractive someone has more money another person has a more uh, you know, physical stamina another person has a better um, you know, higher intelligence or wisdom another person has smarter the other person is um, again better looking whatever it may be on those attributes they lead to a combination of more or less power and so when people are uh, feeling this inequality the human being generally struggles with this notion of inequality and that ultimately leads to a sense of injustice in their relationship so people feel they're not being fairly treated and as such as a result of this unfair treatment within multiple different interactions a person may feel that they're losing their power and being uh, either you know kind of aggressively dealt with unjustly dealt with or even bullied or even abused to a certain situation and all those um, feelings and sensations lead to a position of victimhood so what's an, an self-perception of seeing oneself as the uh, victim at the receiving end on, of the injustice and the other person on the other end which we naturally call the perpetrator so we feel that an injustice has been perpetrated upon us with us as a victim and our partner who is perpetrating this injustice and exercising this injustice as the um, guilty uh, party that is basically exerting this uh, unjust power over us and and we ultimately end up communicating about it like that and describing our partner as such and ourselves as such so you may hear a lot of times that just like this person mentioned as a you know they're behaving as a victim and how can they stop being a victim um, because that's how they describe themselves more or less that they are being unjustly treated and uh, and then they describe their partner as the perpetrator now what happens within that drama triangle is that once the person who is describing themselves as a victim is blaming projecting and or 
labeling the other partner as a perpetrator um, and, and putting guilt and shame on this spouse, the spouse on the receiving end of that label, being labeled a perpetrator, does not want to stay in that position of being labeled as the bad guy, more or less. So what they do generally is they uh, switch to a different position, the, different, the position of the rescuer, meaning rather than um, more or less taking on that role of, uh, yes, you know, I am the bad guy, if that is how you see me, then let's, let's call it that way. I'm the bad guy, and if you feel that I'm unjustly treating you, then, then, then we are not made for each other, then, you know, uh, probably we should separate. Rather than thinking about a possible incompatibility or dissolution, what they end up doing is either threaten with leaving, which can come from both ends, especially as a victim. A lot of times victims are threatened with leaving the relationship, even without leaving the relationship. And or the, the partner, the perpetrator, labeled partner, uh, for the fear of losing the partner or being abandoned or rejected, they switch to the rescuer position. So they come to the rescue of the victimized feelings of the partner and uh, reiterate and assert their um, more or less hope for the relationship to continue with the condition that they're also willing to change their behavior. Meaning uh, what they do, and at times it can be fabricated or fake, uh, they apologize, they, even if they don't mean it, they apologize. And sometimes they do mean it, but even if they mean it, they have put themselves in the position of the rescuer, leading to the reaffirmation and um, confirmation of the victim's uh, almost righteous uh, you know, sense of their victimhood and, and, and uh, validate their victimhood. And, uh, but because uh, it's not the whole story, uh, you know, uh, this black and white depiction and assessment of the relationship mm, uh, into two complete distinct categories of victim versus perpetrator is not really the whole story. Uh, because also both parties have been most likely hurt and feel um, the pain and would like to uh, get some validation. The, the person who switched from perpetrator to, to the uh, rescuer position now uh, would ask for some kind, some kind of reparation. They too would at times uh, kind of slide into the victim position and express their need for uh, reparation. They would um, express that, um, you know, they too have been hurt. They too deserve some kind of a uh, just behavior or, or fair, um, uh, you know, kind of a um, approach from their partners. So it, 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 it's, it's going to kind of flip-flop. You know, the person who became the rescuer and now is going to somehow manipulate their way into a victim position and force their partner who was in the victim position to feel as a perpetrator so, uh, so badly and so painfully that they too are willing to shift into a rescuer position and come to the rescue of the 
uh, of this partner now. That, so it goes back and forth. So that you can see this is how the cycle starts and keeps continuing. And nobody gets out of this and the drama is intensified and escalated even further uh, because they constantly pendulate between you know, shifting into or sliding into the victim position, shifting into the uh, rescue position, and, um, and flipping, uh, you know, back and forth uh, without wanting to really remain in that perpetrator position because that doesn't feel good. It, feel, it feels very you know, guilt-ridden and uh, nobody likes guilt. Nobody wants to put up with that type of a label and, uh, and being accused of having done something horribly. So uh, how do we stop that? Basically, what we have to do is two things. Number one is we have to stop self-victimization. So rather than putting ourselves into the position, the weak position of, oh, I am the one who is being unjustly treated, therefore, because that becomes a conditional mindset and a conditional sentence and a demand proposition, you know, therefore, you have to change your behavior and you have to repair the relationship. You have to do something to remedy the situation because I have been unjustly treated. We have to stop that mindset. That's that self-victimization. What can we do? We can, uh, we have to do self-care, meaning rather than expecting our partner to come to our rescue or, you know, atone for their, um, you know, actions and behaviors and their uh, seeming attacks on us or aggression toward us, what we can do is, is separate these two principles, meaning we can expect our partner to do some work on themselves, you know, uh, we can talk about it differently and a separate uh, timeline more or less without making it conditional to my self-repair, to our self-repair. So, this is how we stop self-victimization. Uh, that's half of the story. The other half of it is that we have to do our own self-care. Meaning, if I feel that I am not getting the you know uh, fair part, share part of um, uh, a conversation or relationship or even goods and services, then I have to take care of myself. Or, for instance, let's say if I'm feeling that. Um, you know, I'm uh, not being rewarded for the effort that I put in. I have to work on self-rewarding behaviors. Uh, so, uh, you know, the examples are bound, and we, we can go through those examples at a later time to give more specific uh, ways and examples for people to figure out what to do. But generally, the idea is self-care. So rather than expecting your partner to take care of you, you have to take care of yourself. That is lead, that's going to lead to more self-differentiation, self-reliance, independent way of you know living life as a single human being, basically a person. A single, I'm not referring to marital status, but just like a, a single entity. Uh, and uh, so that's one part of it. Uh, and the second part of it is to... Uh, to not jump into rescuing the, um, the our, our spouses or partners or 
whoever that, that person is that we are dealing with. So if we are blamed, that's the key part. If we are blamed as a perpetrator, as someone who has done unjust, unfair um, treatment unto others, we have to examine that very carefully. Uh, first of all, for its veracity, for its truthfulness. Maybe there is some truth to that fact, right? And maybe, it's a, maybe it is a fact that we are overlooking. So what we can do is get third-party counsel. So rather than just relying on the assessment from our partner, whether or not we have hurt them, um, first of all, I'm sorry, uh, first of all, uh, inventory would be very helpful. Taking inventory, listening to the partner, writing down their points of contention or assertion, and thinking through it. Maybe there is a possibility that we have done uh, wrong. And, uh, and kind of that, doing that self-examination. And then after going through that inventory, even if we believe that, no, we have done everything right, um, truly believe in, in, in that rather than just kind of fooling ourselves. Um, but we truly believe, like we check every box, basically go through all the actions and, and everything we have done and do the thorough self-inventory, self-examination, still truly believe that we have done every single thing right, then we should take that list to a third party and run that by the third party to get a little bit more objective or a third view, someone who is more independently looking from outside in and can examine the situation and maybe provide some insight for our actions. So after having done that, if we then come to an understanding that yes, we have done something wrong, then we, we should take responsibility for that. We should hold ourselves accountable and take responsibility for um, you know, mistakes, for wrong actions, and apologize for the, not in order to rescue the other person, but apologize because we ourselves feel, want to feel more whole and holistic and complete and integral to our own sense of self as a human being. I want to be internally sure that I'm not living with a fake personality. I want to be internally genuine uh, because that makes me feel better and helps me sleep better at night, not because of other people. So it's actually very selfish reasons that we want to be genuine, authentic, and uh, take responsibility and accountability. It helps us become better, more whole, more integral, human beings, and by that I mean basically matching the congruence between our inner world and outer world, between who we profess we are and who we truly are. And that lowers discrepancy in, uh, in our sense of being, of who we are, and experience the world around us, and leads to more peacefulness inside. But, um, so again, after having done all that, inventory and examination, getting a third party objective review, and having done a self-accountability, and then come to the point that we truly believe that, okay, I'm going to stand by my actions and the words I have said, I truly believe that they have not been um, extreme, they have not been insulting or, um, uh, you know, aggressive or um, toxic, but... Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of truth to 
and, and, and good intentions as well as good actions and behaviors, basically caring reparatory uh, behavior around those actions that um, that have been aligned with my true sense of self, and and that is who I ultimately am and want to be and want to continue to be as a human being. We have to stand by it, meaning we should not run to the rescue uh, and again pretentious rescue of. Uh, the, the partner uh, leading them to believe that I, I think I did something wrong whereas I truly don't think I did something wrong. So in that assertion of communicating to the partner that we are standing you know, very firm and uh, uh, staying our ground and basically standing our ground and also um, sticking very firmly to our to what we have said or what we are doing. You're sending the right, the right message that, you know, I'm not going to continue this cycle of drama triangle, uh, switching back and forth. This is who I am. I stand by it. And I profess that this is the person I would like to continue to be. These are my values. This is my value system. And I'm going to live by it. And now you have a choice as a partner to make an assessment for yourself, whether or not me, myself, or this relationship, we are good for you. So without, again, threatening a uh, dramatic exit or, you know, disconnection and dissolution, um, just communicating the realities of perhaps, you know, it's time to kind of end this ineffective and unhealthy codependency one another because I'm not going to change my behavior. I am who I am. These are my behaviors and I truly believe believe that these are um, you know uh, my code of conduct that I want to live by and if they're clashing with the code of conduct that you have, by no means anyone should feel a victim or being coerced into something they don't want to be by their partner. Therefore, perhaps the dissolution is uh, called for is a better approach, and perhaps not. So, uh, standing the ground, being firm in your, um, you know, conviction after you have done a thorough self-examination, so that you truly and thoroughly are, you know, believe that you you can live with those decisions, uh, is the key to not victimize others and not to become a victim. So we have gone about 45 minutes and just really, and actually this past 18 minutes has been answering really just one question about how to stop being a victim. We have had other questions, but we will continue that later time. Uh, yeah, a lot of questions. Thank you everybody for those questions. We will definitely continue Next Thursday, um, that is the 21st, next Thursday, 21st, uh, on time at 5 p.m. from 5 to 6 p.m. So we can uh, prolong that if necessary, asking, answering all these questions. So let me thank Don, uh, Paid Enthusiast, James, and Kathy for all their wonderful questions. I will be available again, and if necessary, you can even prolong and multiply these nice sessions. To help everyone 
answering these questions. Thank you again. Tune in to us again, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, next Thursday, the 21st. And uh, uh, remember, increase your tolerance for yourself and others. Do some self-care. Appreciate with these times. It is time for appreciation and gratitude. And I'm grateful for you. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Therapy Cable Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider. To view the entire videos of these episodes, visit us online at therapycable.com and send us an email about your thoughts and topic suggestions.